0: Morning again, everyone. Morning. Are we awake? Are we ready to go? Yeah, good. That was a bit quiet. Good. Um, good to be together this morning. I'm not going to do any actions in the sermon at all, okay? Unless Serena wants to help me, but that's okay. Uh, welcome. If you're here for the first time, great to have you here. Um, and uh, my name's Graeme, minister here. Why don't we pray and we'll look into God's word. We're looking at Jonah 3, continue on in our series. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you that you've gathered us here uh, in your name. And we pray, Lord, that you would help me to speak your words clearly and faithfully. Help us to put them into practice as we respond to them in faith. Amen. Well, what makes a good apology? For a minute. What makes a good apology? Uh, Ogden Nash, a poet, he once said about marriage, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, if you're ever wrong, admit it, if you're ever right, shut up. <laughs> it's one of my favourite wedding jokes. I'm sure I've used it plenty of times here as well. Uh, <laughs> on that repertoire, I always gets to laugh at a good wedding. Uh, yeah, what makes a good apology? I think Ogden Nash would say that humility makes a good apology, don't you think? Uh, that's what he's saying. A number of years ago, Australian cricketer Shane Warne, would have heard of him, no doubt, uh, he was caught using or found using a banned substance. It was a diuretic. Now, diuretics are masking agents for steroids and he was using the steroid to get back quickly, uh, back into the swing of things because of an injured shoulder he had. I think it was his bowling shoulder, his right arm. Well, he got caught. And as you do, as Australian cricketers might do, well, you go on a current affair and beg forgiveness for your sins in front of the Australian people and Tracy Grimshaw. <laughs> but that's not quite how it uh, sort of played out. Tracy Grimshaw did her thing and she pushed a little harder. Shane Warne wasn't really sorry for cheating, sorry for breaking the rules. He was sorry because he got court. That's why he was sorry. In fact, it didn't end there. Uh, he blamed his mum for giving him the diuretics. <laughs> Apparently he's, she slipped them into his porridge in the morning or something, I don't know. Uh, surely a good apology will mean taking personal responsibility, don't you think? That's what makes a good apology and, per, and, and admitting wrong. Surely that's it. Uh, When I prepare uh, a couple for marriage, the last session we do is on conflict resolution. And um, it's it's usually a pretty good time, but it can get a bit, you know, a bit feisty. Uh, Part of that discussion is what makes a good apology. And so a little while back I came across these um, seven A's of a good apology. Here they are up on the screen. Number one, address everyone involved. Uh, Avoid ifs and buts. Three, admit specifically. Four, acknowledge the hurt. Five, accept the consequences. Six, alter or change your behaviour. And seven, ask for forgiveness. I reckon that's pretty good. I get them to stick it on their fridge or wherever they like to stick it. Um, I think it's a pretty good list. In fact, what we're really talking about here as we look at this list and, and what we're seeing today in Jonah chapter 3 is a, a biblical example. It's the biblical concept of what we call repentance. That's a good apology, repentance. And, we, and it's, as we look at Jonah chapter 3, it's not the people of God that are raised up and lifted up as an example of repentance, saying sorry, a good apology. In fact, it's, it's the Ninevites, a wicked people, as chapter 1 tells us, who have come up against God, verse 2, chapter 1. It's the greatest miracle of this book. Uh, forget the big fish. Uh, here is a city, thousands of people who turn from their evil ways to follow the true and living God. Wow. So, today, let, let's take some time to explore this biblical, well, explore what we call biblical repentance, a true apology to God. But of course, we won't leave it there. For God is a God of compassion, He's slow to anger, as we read next week. He's abounding in love even for the Ninevites, and even for you and I. God is a God who forgives. So you can see in your outline, hopefully you've got an outline there. Uh, Just take the blue thing out and leave that aside for another time in announcements. But you can see as an outline of where we're going, we see that repentance starts with the word of God, and it's followed by belief in that word, and it results... In the word, in action, or action and change behavior, repentance is hearing the word, believing the word, putting the word in action. I want you to remember one thing today: it's that repentance is hearing the word, believing the word, putting the word of God in action. Let's pick things up from um, chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time: Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Well, immediately we're reminded of God's character in chapter 3, verse 1. Jonah's been spat out or vomited out, as um, I like that translation a bit better, more graphic. Um, he vomited out onto the beach, and here he is, he's being sent again. But we're reminded of God's character. This is what God is like. He's merciful and forgiving. God gives Jonah another go. You see, another, a second chance that's what God's like. His word comes to him a second time. This runaway prophet is privileged to hear God speaking to him once more. Well, this time, verse 3, Jonah obeyed God. It's quite the change from last time. Remember a couple of weeks back, Jonah runs away. He makes his way to Tarshish, which is the other, the other end of the Mediterranean, a long way to go, long way away. So this time, though, he obeys God, Jonah goes to Nineveh, And he proclaims the word of the Lord uh, that was given to him. Now, Nineveh is described as a great city in verse 2. And later, a very important city in verse 3. You can see those there. But, yes, in some ways, the the, author is telling us a bit about the city's size. It was a big city, not the biggest. It wasn't the capital of Assyria or anything. It was a big city. But the narrator is concerned with status. See, God cared about this city, a more literal translation is this city was great to God. These people were important to God. Now the mistake of Jonah, and perhaps it may well be our mistake, was to presume that God would not care about uh, people, such people. That God would not care about these types of people. I want to say that again, because I want you to hear it. There's a bit going on in the room, isn't there? The mistake that Jonah made is that, and, and we don't want it to be our mistake, and maybe we'll push this a bit harder next week, I think we will, was to presume that God didn't care about these types of people, that God would not care about such people like the Ninevites. That was the mistake that Jonah made. Well, verse 4 tells us that a city such as this requires three days. Three days to preach through it and until everyone walk through it. Uh, Jonah didn't waste any time. Verse 4, on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Uh, It's hardly hardly a sermon of great celebration, is it? Um, Not really. Jonah spoke of impending doom, of destruction. Judgment was coming if they did not repent and change their ways. God had spoken through his prophet and they've been warned. That's how biblical repentance starts. Biblical repentance starts with the Word of God. In fact, if you want to do a bit of reading of the Bible this week, uh, look up repentance, uh, Google repentance in terms of, well, search it in the Bible. That's a good way to do it. And see that it starts with the Word of God. Now, is that all that Jonah said? It's a pretty short sermon, isn't it? One one sentence. Uh, Some of you may be wishing that all of our sermons were that length. But no, not on my watch, not a chance. Um, <laughs> is that all he said? I doubt that's all he said. No, I don't think so. I think the king's response, for example, in verse 8, suggests that he, that he got more. The king seemed to understand why judgment was heading their way. Also, did Jonah share about his own experience? Well, again, I think he probably, probably would have. Jonah would have used his experience to help them see the consequences of disobeying God and his word. Or as Jesus puts it, as we saw last week, the sign of Jonah. Well, the response to God's word is immediate. Look at verse 5. It's the second point in our outline. The Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. Now, you've probably heard this, um, this phrase said in public relations or in politics or even in personal relations, this phrase... Sorry if I've offended anyone. You heard that phrase said a few times? Sorry if I've offended anyone. Now, preaching is is not meant to be the pastor having a whinge, but I want you to cut me some slack. You ready? Um, (laughs) Sorry if I've offended one. That apology sounds like you don't believe that you've actually offended anyone. Am I right? Maybe I'm being a bit sensitive. I don't know. It sounds like you believe that you haven't, cause that person any pain? Sounds like it's conditional on something, if. It sounds like you don't believe the one you have hurt. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? It sounds like you don't believe his or her words. In fact, Wikipedia gives this type of apology a name. You know what it is? It's called a non-apology apology. apology. A non-apology apology. There you go. That's what it is, uh, or a faux I think that's how to pronounce it, F-A-U-X, apology, faux um, Here's an example. I'll give an example of, um, of a, uh, a non-apology apology. It's quite fun to say, isn't it? Yeah, I won't get you to say that out loud, though. Uh, Gareth Evans, who was a foreign minister for Australia a number of years back, anyway, he, uh, this, he once said in the context of an Australian television series causing offence to the Malaysian people and government, he said he had wanted to acknowledge fault... ...where such acknowledgement is appropriate. Just think about that for a minute. He wanted to acknowledge fault... ...where such acknowledgement is appropriate. That's a non-apology apology. You see? Uh, and <laughs> but that's not what we read with the Ninevites. We don't read that at all. They believed the one they had offended. Uh, 1 verse 2. The, they believed they had come up before God. They believed... Uh, In their wickedness. Verse 5 says, They believed God, they believed his words through through the prophet Jonah, and so they repented. That's the second thing God teaches us about repentance from the Ninevites. Repentance means believing, repentance means believing in the word of God. Repentance starts with the word of God spoken, and for us, it might be a Sunday morning, it might be in a song, it might be in, at a small group Bible study, it might be hearing it taught. It starts with hearing the word of God, but that's, it, it, that's not it, is it? No, no. But for a, a true apology to God, his, his promises, whether they're of impending judgment or grace and mercy and so on, his promises must be, his word must be believed. We must believe that we've offended him, that we've come up against him, that we've fallen short, as Romans 3 says. And that's exactly what the Ninevites did. They believed. In fact, such a faithful response, Jesus says, put, put the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day to shame. Extraordinary statement that Jesus says. I'll put it up on the screen. This is what Jesus said. He said, the men of Nineveh will stand up against the judgment with this generation. That was the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, They'll stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They heard the word and believed it, but this generation didn't, Jesus said. The enemies of Israel, this Assyrian city, putting the leaders of Israel, God's chosen people to shame in their faithful repentance. Amazing, isn't it? Early in the service, we we prayed a prayer. I'll put it up on the screen. We prayed a confession of our sins. Uh, the fact that we've gone our own way and broken God's laws. But in that confession, have a look at it again up on the screen, we, we heard God's promises, didn't we? Can you see them? Uh, there's quite a few there. Promises that we read in God's word in the Bible, promises of everlasting love, are promises of forgiveness, of God's mercy. And so we're reminded of the seriousness of our sin when we confess our sin, that we, that we must turn away from them. And that we want to live to please God more and more. But also, can you see, can you see too why this confession is so good for us to pray? I think there's a few reasons, but here's the big one. Because it points us to God's promises in his word. And believing those promises, that's at the heart of repentance. So finally, we we can we can see, well, how can we know? If our belief in God's word is real, as we come to him in repentance, it's a fair fair point, isn't it? We we hear the word, we believe the word, but how do we know it's really got into our heart? How do we know that we really do believe it? That we're really sorry that we've made a a good apology to God? Well, we treat his word seriously and we put it into action. We put his words into practice using Jesus' words. We hear the word, we believe the word, we put it into action. So repentance must bring about change. Not perfection, but change. Uh, Let me illustrate repentance and change quite simply for you. Uh, Think of that moment of marital bliss when you you and your spouse are driving to your destination. You need to find the way. So the wife tells the husband uh, to turn right at the next intersection and by mistake he turns left. Now we all know how confusing left and right can be. I hope you're feeling it with me. Well when he realises he's done wrong, he says to his wife, I'm sorry my love of my life. That's of course how you should speak to your wife at all times. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry my love, I've gone the wrong way. But if that's all he does, well it isn't enough, is it, really? Him saying sorry isn't getting him any closer to the dinner party, although that could be his cunning plan to get out of the dinner party. We'll never know. In any case, saying sorry isn't even stopping them getting further away. To get where they want to be, or should be, uh, he needs to stop the car, doesn't he? And he needs to turn it around and go back on the correct road that his wife told him to take in the first place. He needs to take action. Well, that's repentance, isn't it? That's repentance. He hears the word, he believes the word, and he puts the word into action. Repentance brings about change. It's not just saying sorry. It's a change in our minds from hearing the word and then putting into action. It's why John the Baptist in Matthew 3 called the people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Or in Acts 26, the Apostle Paul explains for his reason for his preaching. And he says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. See action. Repentance leads to action. Hear the word. We Believe the word. We put it into action. And that is what we read of this Assyrian city of Nineveh. Verse 5, they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. They mourned in their grief as they were confronted or convicted of their sin. See, sackcloth is uh, is worn on such occasions of grief. It's uncomfortable. It's itchy. Think potato sack, okay? Uh, It's clothing that symbolizes poverty before God. God, I've got nothing. I'm a sinful human being. I need you. And this reaction too we see in Nineveh, it was from the top down. Look at verse 6. When the news, when the word of God reached the king of Nineveh, I suppose rooting between the lines, Jonah may well have got an audience with the king. Quite possible. A prophet from Israel, neighbouring Israel. Well, When it reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal th- robes, he covered himself in sackcloth, and he sat down in the dirt, in the dust, in a humble position. Then the king issued a proclamation in Nineveh. i skip to halfway through verse 8. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Now, Assyria, just pause for a minute. Assyria was a violent city, a violent city. It's Actually, it's modern-day Mosul in Iraq, if you want to know the history of it. Um, but it was violent. Things they did with children and, 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 and uh, prisoners and so forth were awful. Uh, verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent with his com- with, and with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. And verse 10, that's exactly what God did. When God saw what they did and how they turned from e- their evil ways he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, this is what Diana read to us earlier on, uh, Paul describes the repentance of a group of Christians at Corinth. He writes that their repentance was characterised by things such as grief. And did you pick this up? Their repentance is characterised by having no regrets at having turning away from their sin. Think about that for a minute. That's what repentance is. Having no regrets from leaving my sin behind. That's a challenge, isn't it? It uh, uses other words to describe this repentance as well that um, Diana read for us. Indignation, as zeal, determination, uh, eagerness and, pun- and even punishments mentioned there in the context of, of uh, recognising and, and repentance and so on, recognising their sin. Friends, this is the sort of repentance that should characterise the people of God at all times. Not just for special events and not just once a month. When God convicts us of sin, righteousness and judgement, as, as God's word inevitably will, our repentance should be this godly grief that results in actions. See, we hear the word, we believe the word and we, we put it into action. That's what repentance is. Friends, when was the last time you heard or read God's word and were confronted by your need to change your thinking or actions? Maybe it's this morning, I don't know. How did you react? How did you go? How did you go? Do you remember? How did you think? What did you say to God or yourself? How did your actions change as a result? They're good questions, aren't they? Good for us to think about. Good for us to pray about. How about I close and I'll, I'll pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we're reminded of, um, of your love for us in Jesus by these words today from Jonah 3. Lord, we pray as we uh, come to you and acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, we pray that we are convicted by your word and that we, Lord, we make a a good apology and that means repentance, that means believing your word and putting it into practice. Lord, we're sorry for our sin. And, Lord, we're thankful that in Jesus our sins can be forgiven. Lord, may may we live a life where we remember your grace and mercy and remember the forgiveness that you have offered us in Jesus. Amen.